For our second scripture reading this morning, it comes from the book of 1 John. You can find that on page 1899 in the Red uh, Bibles. book of 1 John will be reading chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Again, that's on page 1899. John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to us from the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him and obey him through his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Here ends the second reading. Well, again, you guys are probably wondering why I am up here. More than you, I'm also wondering why I am up here. Several months ago, when Corey first asked me to step in for him, I uh, was very humbled that he had asked me, but I also thought that he had hit his head on something. And this time around, I'm wondering if I'm the one who actually hit my head on something. Um, as this is not something that I had ever set out my life to do, but yet alone, here I am. So, With that, I'd like to start off with just a little exercise. So if you're able to, please stand for me. Now I'd like everybody to turn around and face towards the back of the church. And if you could just go ahead and just put your hands behind your back and get really relaxed. Now people in my profession right now would tell you you are under arrest. And having been said that, you are now here permanently and have to listen to what I have to say. So consider yourself um, an arrested congregation. You may be seated. Back in June, I was asked to stand in for Pastor Corey and deliver his Sunday message to this congregation. Not being an official Bible scholar, I gave it much thought and prayer, and I chose to speak on the Lord's two greatest commandments. That was to love the Lord our God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to also love your neighbor as yourself. I coined my message the bottom line because everything that God and His Son Jesus commands us to do focuses on one thing, and that is love. As we progressed through the message, we were able to understand exactly what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, and by doing so, we could also love God with that true agape love. But understanding the meaning is quite different from actually living it out as a Christian. So as Christians, if we are truly to love our neighbor, then we better know exactly how to do it, and not just talk the talk, claiming to be followers of Christ, but we must walk the walk. So how do we walk the walk? What does it mean to live out your life as a Christian? Now we all know that a Christian is someone who is a follower of Christ. But to answer the question, let's take a look at what Christianity is and what being a Christian really is. 
Research indicates that Christianity is the most adhered to religion in the United States. In 2019, 65% of polled Americans identify themselves as a Christian. According to data listed in Wikipedia, this is down 85% in 1990, 81.6% in 2001, and 12% lower than the 78% reported in 2012. About 62% of those polled claim to be members of a church congregation, very similar to this one. The United States has the largest Christian population in the entire world with nearly 240 million Christians. Although other countries may have higher percentages of Christians amongst their own populations. Many people claim the title of Christian, but do they really know what it means to be one? Do people fully understand what it takes to completely follow Christ? Or do they wear the, the Christian name as a badge of honor? You see, there's a significant difference between saying you're a Christian and actually living out your life as a Christian. There's one thing that is very certain. There are those who are truly Christians and those who are the would-be or false Christians. And we will know them by their own actions. In an article written by Aaron Earls posted in Facts and Trends in May of 2016, when Americans who identified themselves as Christians were asked to identify the essentials, their answers depend largely on how frequently they attend church. Among those polled, believing in God is by far the most frequently chosen item making someone a Christian. Yep, that's it. All you got to do is believe in God and boom, you're a Christian, right? Among, or excuse me, according to those uh, in the report, being grateful, forgiving, honest, and praying, helping the poor were also selected by a vast majority. Now, these folks were getting kind of warm, but there were still evident differences between those who attend church weekly and regularly and those who do not attend church hardly at all. A majority of highly religious Christians meaning those who pray daily and attend church at least once a week, chose nine individual beliefs and actions as being vital to living as a Christian, while those who attend church much less only chose four. An open-ended question allowed survey respondents an opportunity to name anything else that may be considered as essential to what it means to be a Christian. 15% volunteered some form of following the golden rule. While 13% said trust or belief in God and 11% actually mentioned salvation through Jesus. I recently read an article on October, written on October 8, 2018 by an individual by the name of Benjamin Sledge, who is a combat veteran and a storyteller amongst several other things. Sledge uh, recounted his own personal interactions with people who claimed to be a Christian. In an article, he explained why the Western church is in such a mess and why so many people who claim that they are Christians are bigoted, hypocritical, and judgmental people. The article actually touched on America's youth, and according to research sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Lindquist Denton, interviews conducted with 3,000 teenagers discovered that today's youth view religion and Christianity under the following core beliefs, and there's three of them. So number one, God wants people to be nice and fair to one another. 
Number two, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Number three, God doesn't not excuse me, God doesn't need to be involved in your life unless, of course, something is going wrong and you need to have it resolved. And number four, good people go to heaven when they die. That's what our teenagers thought. It's actually kind of scary to think that so many young people think that this is what you need to know in order to be a Christian. Sledge went on to say that the mark of today's Christian, however, is you do you. Be happy and believe in whatever you want. Just be nice to each other and you'll reach the pearly gates. Now you may think that he was making this up, but actually in 2016 a, a research firm called Lifeway Research confirmed that the vast majority of self-identifying Christians really believe this. And 73% of America claims they are Christians. Sledge went on to sum up his findings this way. In effect, it's like having an entire population who have claimed to have seen the movie The Goonies, yet but they cannot explain the plot. And when they do, it's all about a group of teenagers who go out and fight a T-Rex dinosaur. Now, if you've ever had the opportunity to see The Goonies, uh, you certainly know that it's far from the actual plot. Similarly, it's like going out and saying our sky is purple. Although the people in these articles have had a basic watered-down general idea, they were still missing the mark. Now, others who claim to be Christian may be people just like you and me. But what are they actually doing to show who they really are? They may come to church every Sunday and occasionally volunteer to help at different events to show everyone their good works. But they're also the same people who may start talking about others just as soon as they walk out the door or secretly gripe to themselves about someone while saying, I'll pray for you. Now, does this mean we need to come to church more often and on Sundays and, and to worship? Does it mean that we need to read the Bible a lot more and do good things for others? Absolutely, it does. But there's a lot more to it than just that. I am a Christian. I am also a sinner. I say this because I firmly believe what is written in the gospel and that no matter how bad things seem to be or how much I screw up, and trust me folks, I screw up a lot, just ask my wife. <laughs> I can be redeemed through repentance of my sins and keeping faith in Christ Jesus. So where do you fit in? Have you ever been asked about your faith? And if so, how did you explain to someone that you're a Christian? How did you explain what it means to walk with Christ? Especially in today's busy, corrupt, and pressure-filled world. Let's take a look at what Scripture has to say on the subject. In the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, John tells us that we must live a life without sin. He goes and writes this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. So in other words, we must follow all the laws and commands handed down to us from God, the prophets, and Jesus himself. Something we should all know is a no-brainer. But we also know, as John did, that sin is inevitable. 
and that we were born into it. Sooner or later, we're going to commit sins in one fashion or another, and we may just be as fast as soon as we get up from the pew and walk behind here for fellowship. But John also knew and reminded us that if we did screw up, we had an advocate before God, God's beloved son, Jesus. It's like going to court for a crime that you've committed. You can either represent yourself before a judge or jury, or you can have a lawyer represent you. Take it from someone who's been in court a lot and know it's because I didn't do anything bad. But it's far better to have someone representing you and try to justify things or claim innocence than to do it on your own. Jesus certainly won't try to justify our actions to God, but he will intercede for us as making us innocent and making the case for mercy. So in order to try to live our lives without sin, we must strive to do these three things. Number one, we must understand and strive to know the power of sin. See, we can't deny that sin exists. We often claim one thing by our words, but we end up being condemned by our own actions. In order to diffuse that power, we must walk with Christ and confess our sins. Then we will be cleansed from them. If we don't, then we become that false Christian. Number two, we must strive to recognize the presence of sin. Sin is everywhere, especially in today's world. It's like being sick. The cure for sickness is not ignoring that you're sick, but actually seeking a treatment. In the same way, we cannot ignore sin's presence, but we must recognize and seek the cure. We achieve this by relying on the faithfulness of God to forgive us by our confession and by Christ's death on the cross. And number three, we must strive to abolish the practice of sin. And this is probably one of the most hardest things that we are all going to have to try to do. The person who denies that they have sinned is quick to label their anything as or their actions is anything but. But to take such a stance costs that person the joy of forgiveness and the restoration of oneself with God. You see, we cannot deny it when we have done something wrong, but in order to abolish that sin, our sinful nature, we must learn to run from temptation and ask the Lord to keep us on the straight and narrow path. Now John goes on to write in verse 3, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Well, what commands is he talking about? We all know the Big Ten, right? But what other commands is he referring to? He's actually talking about all of them. And if you recall, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets is by loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. That bottom line message that I talked about is referenced again in, in 1 John Chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded. If we believe in Jesus as the one and only Son of God, who died for a ransom for our sins and was raised again, we can develop that special relationship with him that allows him to live within us. And if he lives within us, then we can keep his own commands. Remember, Jesus was without sin, and he can certainly steer us from going down the dark path if we let him. But watch this. John also gives us a little bit of a warning. And this is so where so many of us miss the mark. 
Remember those false Christians I mentioned earlier? Listen to this in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Remember, to know God, we do not and cannot depend on good works. Instead, we come to know him through Jesus. In the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. Living as Jesus did by demonstrating good things towards one another. When a believer is born again into God's family, they come into that internal relationship that cannot be broken. But when we choose to make poor decisions, our fellowship is disrupted. And if we continue that, that special relationship can be broken by sin. People can have a knowledge of something, but not the benefit of it. Jesus goes on to tell us in, in John 15, verses 4 and 5, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is telling us here is if we have him first in our lives, and foremost, he will stay with us. He is the vine that's going to nourish us and mature us. He knows we can do nothing by ourselves and that we absolutely need him. This is why he tells us that no branch by itself can bear fruit and that if we as branches want to bear fruit, we must remain in him. By having Jesus in our lives, he tells us that we will be blessed and bear much fruit. If we fail to have that special relationship, we can do absolutely nothing. It would be like having the mentality of, you're born, you live, and you die. That's it. All done. Bye-bye. How would you like to live out your life? Like a branch broken away from the nourishing vine? Or would you rather live life as a part of that vine, being blessed and bearing much fruit? Finally, in verse 5, John provides us a little reassurance, a promise, if you will. He says, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know him. No matter how difficult it may be to, to follow God's commands and obey his word, the spirit of lawlessness and the evil one is constantly at work, and we need to be alert. If we remain firm in our faith in Christ, we cannot be steered into darkness and will we continue to obey God. And to obey God and his word, we don't necessarily demonstrate it just by our words, but we do it by our actions. That way the relationship with him matures, so we will do what God wants and we will desire to do his own will. Let's take a look real quick at John chapter 14. Verses 15 through 16. Here Christ tells us, If you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. What Jesus is telling us here is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will live within us. 
Finally, in verse 6, John tells us that if we claim to follow Christ, we must live as Jesus did. Now he says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now that doesn't necessarily mean for you all to run out and grab your robes and sandals and start going living in the wilderness. But it does mean that as Christians, we are to walk the walk in response to our talk. And simply not enough to just say a kind word to someone. But we need to demonstrate that. To love one another, we must live unconditionally. Excuse me, must love unconditionally. Love people as who they are and pray that the Father will work in their lives. We also must love sacrificially. Not just tell people of God's love, but we must show them God's love by demonstrating it. It could be as simple as putting off what you want to do for a few moments and offering a listening ear to someone who may have a problem. And finally, we must love personally. The only Christ people will ever see or come to know is the one that they see in us. So when we, we look at that uh, first scripture reading, the book of Psalms, it asks, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? If we live in Christ, and Christ is in us, there is your answer. It is us. So how do we know that we're really Christians and we're just not providing lip service and talking the talk, but we're actually walking the walk? Here are five easy tests to assure yourself that you're on the right path in your salvation. Number one, the faith test. What do you believe? Is your doctrine in line with the Word of God? Number two, the life test. How do you live? Do you keep God's commandments? And when you stumble, do you repent? Number three, the love test. Do we love our neighbor? And do we demonstrate God's love through our own actions? Number four, the growth test. Are we overcoming and maturing in our relationship with Christ and our walk with God? And finally, number five, the sin test. Do we avoid sin or do we continue sinning and consider it acceptable? I'll close with this final thought that comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may live, be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Let's all walk the walk together.